welcome to yet another scintillating episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. <laughs> Emphasis on sin. <laughs> <laughs> and if that voice is coming through with unusual clarity, it's because the Commodore, Aaron Porter, the co-host from the left coast, is actually here in the land of milk and honey. He is present <laughs> in Middle Tennessee, sitting with us in studio, high above the Mellow Mushroom in downtown Franklin, Tennessee. Hi, I'm your host of some kind of Nate Larkin, here with Mondo, our fearless, peerless engineer. Newton, uh, what have we decided to W, the bosun, the, the, the first mate? The I'll take it. No, sure. cabin boy. What's happening? <laughs> How is he getting out of this every time? I don't know. I don't know. It's because I've never had a nickname my whole life. Really? Well, when your first name is Newton. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, I'll We're, take whatever. How about we just call you CB, and all of us will know what that's going <laughs> You're CB. Nice. Well, uh, Aaron arrived late last. Well, actually, in the in the late afternoon, early evening, descended through the thunder clouds here in stormy Middle Tennessee. Kind of brought fun. his son Caleb. Hmm? Yeah, his his first big plane ride, and it was through some great, great oh, yeah. turbulating clouds. <laughs> and he was smiling the whole time. So. I wasn't quite sure you were going to make it. I came. You came from Dallas. They flew you through Dallas. I came yeah. through Dallas two days earlier and had yeah. flight How was delays. That? And How was that? Well, I was. I had a. <laughs> <laughs> My weekend was in Wichita Falls, which is which is two and a half hours from Dallas and three hours from nowhere, and nowhere close to Wichita. Right. right. Yeah. Exactly. And and actually, I flew there and then. Uh, I did a mentor retreat for a great church in Wichita Falls, Grace Church, but they uh, they booked a conference center in Oklahoma, a place called Quartz Mountain, Oklahoma. Beautiful, very arid, and it's in the middle of a drought. It's on a lake, but the lake's down to 12% of capacity. For those of you keeping score, he's used arid and scintillating so far. <laughs> Two points to Nate Larkin. Well, I had a great weekend. It was beautiful. Windy. Man, was it windy. Unbelievable how the wind comes whistling across the plain in Oklahoma. What's the line there? Oklahoma. Sweeping. That's right. Well, the wind comes sweeping across the plain. Do, oh. do people in Oklahoma actually break out in song like that? I've always wondered. In Texas, they do. <laughs> you can get claps out of people if you say deep in the heart of Texas. When, you get what, you get what you from get people? Clap? Yes, oh, claps, claps uh, out not of... Not the clap. Okay, okay. sorry. I, I was like, you just offended an entire state. That's ridiculous. So at any rate, uh, after a great weekend with the guys out at, uh, at Quartz Mountain, uh, they dropped me at the Wichita airport. Which is hilarious. It has, <laughs> and the guy looks at me and he goes, "I'll make sure you find your gate." There are two gates. <laughs> there's, there's one airline that flies in, and that's it. American Airlines services Wichita Falls, and one guy pretty much runs the airport. I was real after a whole weekend. I was really looking forward to a beer. I figured I'm going to get there early. I'll just go to the airport bar. I'll have a beer. I'll relax. Get some reading to do. Yeah. There's three vending machines. There's no bar. And, a, and a horse trough. That's right. Exactly. Oh, wow. 
a cooler with some Miller Lite and an honor system? Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so, uh, so at any rate, uh, I'm there a couple hours early. People start to filter in, and then 30 minutes before the flight is supposed to depart, it is canceled. Uh, canceled allegedly for weather. I don't see any weather except it's kind of windy. The person at the at the desk is all apologetic and says this happens all the time. I said, really? How often? They said about three times a week. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so obviously it's not weather related. There's 42 people, but instead of flying us to Dallas, they there happen to be some vans that are ready to take us. <laughs> Three vans. Yeah, that's a pretty good... They're going to save some money, and they just put us on vans and drive us to Dallas. Wow. Yeah. Did, they, did you still get peanuts and presents? No, no, no. And this van, I swear, it had half a million miles on it. The suspension <laughs> was just... Uh, you know, a fond memory. The thing was just jouncing. The windshield, big crack going right across the windshield. No air. Did yeah. anyone have goats inside? <laughs> but we did get home. But anyway, back to this. And I, I was eager to get home because I knew Aaron was coming. Yeah. Uh, so we took we took his son Caleb downtown Nashville last night. And give us some impressions of Nashville at night. Well, we should. Uh, hey, Caleb, come here. Oh, going to put him on air. He's not the Our studio audience <laughs> is really enjoying Aaron's rhinestone suit that he bought. <laughs> you know, decked out in a nudie suit. Yeah. <laughs> so, what what were your impressions of Nashville last night? A Christmas tree. Oh, nice. Oh, very, very interesting. Like a Christmas tree. Yeah. There was some music playing. Yeah, and a lot of good food. Some very disgusting. That's right. Taste bad. Crickets. Oh, just, yeah, we bought him crickets. Brought bought him bacon and cheese flavored crickets at the mm. Every mm. every eleven year old boy <laughs> ought to eat some crickets, right? And what was your impression of your cricket eating? Throw up. <laughs> Very concise. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you. Yep. Thanks, Caleb. What's the candy? The one on Broadway? I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. There's a big candy store that's yeah. opened up down there. Oh, they, they have yeah, sour yeah. cream and onion, Cricket. cheddar and bacon. Uh huh. Yeah. What was the third type? Vinegar, oh, salt and vinegar. Salt and vinegar. You can get salt and vinegar. Cricket. Actually, after eating that one cricket on the fork, yeah, I feel like I I could understand why salt and vinegar would work. Really, the bacon and cheddar kind of overpowered the uh, cricket taste. Yeah, I, I, I feel like it was the right yeah. medley of flavors. <laughs> but man, those pieces really get stuck in your teeth for a while. And and, wow. and what wine would we recommend with the bacon and cheese? Oh, Boone crickets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd say anything in a box is fine. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'd pair it with. Tour de Franzia. <laughs> now, uh, Newton, you were off uh, hiking in the wilds of Virginia last yeah. weekend. Tell uh, us about that. Would... I uh, I spent Friday through through Sunday in Grayson Highlands State Park. Um, gorgeous part of, I think that's still the southeast, 
Um, yeah. We, uh, me and some buddies, uh, hiked in with a bunch of food and beer um, for some trail magic, which is actually a thing. For uh, those of you that are Baptist, he's not talking about black magic, no. or real magic, or even Harry Potter magic. But he is talking about beer. So we are talking about beer. So yeah. <laughs> Um, He's not talking about alcoholic it's root beer. beer. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what that would have been like hiking no duels in for a bunch of Appalachian Trail through hikers. <laughs> but that's but that's what we did. Uh, we we hiked about four miles in near one of the the AT shelters uh, in uh, Grayson Highlands. Trail AT yeah. Uh, Appalachian Appalachian Trail. Right. Sorry, yeah. Um, Appalachian Trail. So we caught uh, a handful of through hikers and gave them. Just a, a big time. You're, you're uh, doing so much industry speak. A through hiker. So that means they start somewhere in Georgia, and without stopping, um, they walk all the way up to Maine. Mount Katahdin in Maine. Yep. Yep. yep by, it's about six months, seven months. By not stopping, he does mean they rest. They from rest time to time. Yeah. Yeah. But um, they. So how long does that take? Uh, about six months. Yeah, most people start um, early to mid-March, and most people fin- finish or end, um, if they make it all the way through, uh, between mid-September and the 1st of October, and then um, they actually close the mountain, um, I want to say mid-October. It gets too snowy and icy, uh, so you have to finish by mid-October, or you've walked six, six and a half months and don't get to finish. Yeah. So, so these magic people like you, yeah, prepare something special, yeah, and give just, it to the hiker. Yeah, just to pick me up, just something to say, hey, you like in this case, where we caught these guys on the trail, they'd been out for anywhere from, gosh, probably five to seven weeks, give or take, um, and so just to say, hey, here's a meal that you didn't cook, that you didn't pay for, here's a cold beer. Um, and someone that wants to hear your stories, you yeah. know. Uh, we had a really this big meal that isn't dehydrated. No, <laughs> it was vacuum sealed. We didn't de- we we didn't dehydrate it. Um, we cooked Daniel, um, a friend cooked of mine. Daniel, <laughs> we did. Yeah. Daniel, My son did, Daniel. Right, Nate's son Daniel cooked this like slow cooked with beer pork thing. I'm a vegetarian, so I didn't have any of that. Uh, but I made. A yeah, an African black. It was from what I heard, it was great. And then I made this African black eyed pea uh, recipe that was awesome. Um, and we took that and we, you know, kind of got it all put together trail side. Um, had about five cases of beer that we brought up um, and tortillas and fresh homemade guacamole, um, uh, enchilada sauce. It was all. It, it was it was awesome. It you was carried great. it in. We did. Yeah. Um, How many miles was this uh, trekking? It was four. So we hiked in on Friday, and it was four miles in. And then Daniel and I, while the two other guys we were with set camp up, Daniel and I hiked back to the car, uh, loaded up with beer and food and everything we needed for the night, um, and then hiked back. So we hiked another eight to nine-ish miles. Um, yeah, eight, nine miles on the way on Saturday, uh, and then another four miles out on Sunday. Uh, Sunday was the best hike because we gave away anything that we <laughs> didn't buy or weren't really attached to. I gave away half a can, half a canister of stove fuel and 
trail mix and oatmeal. Yeah. If I wasn't going to eat it that morning, right. I was giving it to a through hiker. Lighter on the way out. Yeah. That's the we way were, you want to be. We were lighter on the way out. Yeah. Uh, we were less hydrated on the way out. <laughs> <laughs> but we were lighter on the way out. That's sounds um, but Yeah, it was, it was great. We're yeah. looking forward to doing it again uh, next year. Although we're thinking breakfast would be lighter yeah. and a little bit easier to do. Um, a little trail magic. Yeah. It was it was great. On the Appalachian Trail. Yeah. Cool. It's, a, it's a gorgeous part of the country. Um, uh, just an astounding view every time you turn the corner. Yeah, now tell us about Grayson Highlands. Uh, it is near the border of, or maybe even right on the border of Virginia and North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> it is a bald. Uh, it was heavily logged in the 1800s, and so it looks and feels like northern England. It feels like Scotland. It feels like a highland. Yeah. Um, so there's exposed rock, there's not a lot of trees. Um, there's views for miles and miles and miles and miles. Yeah. Uh, there's wild ponies. Uh, the area is actually maintained with herds of wild ponies to keep the grass down and to keep things bald. Yeah. Um, but it was, it, it's a, and it's beautiful. I haven't seen anything like that in the States. It actually felt like I was back in England, uh, like last summer yeah, where yeah. we hiked yeah. Hadrian's Wall. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wow. it's, it's gorgeous. Uh, when it's rainy and windy like it was on Friday, it sucks because um, there's no shelter to get to. But it's so much more authentic, Scotland. <laughs> but yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Um, it was Friday. Friday was a challenge to find the, the to find the win. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, Saturday and Sunday, it was all over the place. It was great. Okay. But it's a it's a great state park. Yeah. Hey, Mondo, swing that mic around there and tell us what's going on. In, in uh, on a planet Grimes. Oh God, dude, that's a that's a there's a there's a lot. Yeah, uh, yeah. But it's, it's all good though. I've been around a lot of drunk people. The last. <laughs> uh, oh, you were on the trip and I didn't notice. Man, dude. <laughs> you know, it's been a, it's been a trip, man. Cause I've been a uh, you know, like I said in the last episode, the whole it's, sprocket rocket thing. Yeah, yeah. Downtown, the, the, so the, 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 pub, the pub crawl thing. Yeah. I showed and, one to Aaron last night. Yeah, and man, I'm telling you. So I, I was out there all day, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Oh wow! And man, it stayed busy. It stayed busy. I mean, from bachelor parties, bachelorette parties, uh, got you know people from out of town. You know, Nashville's mm-hmm. just become like this new mini LA or something. You yeah. know, it's like people coming from everywhere. It's amazing. We've done that last night. It's Tuesday night, and the sidewalks are full. Yeah, it was, and and just after a while, man, just it's it's just. 16 drunk people after another yeah, you know yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it gets old kind of quick <laughs> you know yeah. it's a lot of fun some crazy stuff happened uh, of course as you can imagine um uh but overall I mean, everything's good dude what, I, you don't have anything crazy no one's getting a fight except hit the person next to you well uh you have people who um like for instance the, the first tour uh there was a group of girls who were just really excited about each other mm-hmm and they were dancing in the back, and they were giving. There was a fire truck behind us, and the firemen were directly behind us, and they were giving the firemen a show. Oh, okay, yeah. And and I'm looking around like, oh crap, like yeah, hey, I look, where is the police? You know what I mean? Like the, I'm looking for police, and yeah. the firemen are just, you know, they're grinning, you know, ear to ear, right. and right, and right, right, right. and I see one get on the phone. I'm like, oh crap, you know. <laughs> so. <laughs> You know, but you know, again, you know, you, you know, people out of town, they have a different mentality out of town. And oh, of course, they have a different mentality. So they don't know if the internet actually crosses 
that, that, exactly, exactly, man. Facebook does exactly. Take it back to home. Yeah, it's pretty nuts, but it, but it's it's cool though, man. It's uh it's a good little business that my buddy has, and yeah, and uh, I've been helping him out and getting involved. But uh, the family's great, dude. The kids are awesome. Man, school's almost out, man. Which that that is unbelievable. Yeah, man, and just trying to get used to, to the idea of no more school. I'm three weeks from now. Yeah, that's it. And three so weeks. three weeks, man. Yeah, three more weeks. And June. no June. Not here. Twenty third are out. Twenty third of May, man. And yeah. so just with all that, and I'm like, oh crap, I'm also moving too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah. the twenty third. Oh. Yeah. So this this month is pretty nuts. Just yeah. was juggling a lot, but uh, overall, I mean, everything's pretty good, man. I mean, no no craziness, no. This you know it's pretty steady. Yeah, it's steady right now, so things are cool. Yeah. All right. Well, you know what? We're going to visit with an old friend, Tom Ryan, author of Ashamed to Know More. We'll be back in a minute. We're going to get Tom on the phone and have us a conversation. We'll be back right here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. And we are back on the Pirate Monk Podcast with our good friend Tom Ryan. Hey, Tom, how are you? Nate, it's so good to be with you guys. Well, uh, for our listeners who are new to the podcast, who... Uh, we're not around during the, your first visit or when you, you did such a great job co-hosting with us in my absence a year or so ago. Uh, give a thumbnail sketch of uh, your background and story and what you kind of bring to this whole conversation, Tom. Right. Um, well, I was a pastor for a long time um, and in the Presbyterian denominations. And, uh, gosh, I think it was back on episode ninety. Yeah, December in 2012 is when I was first on the podcast with you guys and told a, a lot of my story back on that one. But um, the thumbnail is I, I was a pastor for a long time, um, grew up in a mainline church, but always had a really keen consciousness of, of believing in God. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Somewhere in adolescence, uh, got involved with some evangelical youth ministries and also with Young Life. And, uh, man, never looked back, had a personal encounter personal relationship personal belonging sense of real devotion to jesus that was terribly sincere but at the same time uh from early adolescence i had stumbled into compulsive sexual behaviors as my way of of handling life of mood alteration and and making it and and it was never okay it was something i always struggled with um back in those days um kind of had this idea in christianity that when a guy would meet the right woman and uh, get married and have sex and everything would kind of settle in. And uh, yeah. I met the right woman and it settled in pretty good, but my nature was what it was and my primary attachment of coping whenever I got stressed or bored, uh, those those patterns kept coming back up. And my goodness, was I, was I upset and disconsolate. What's the matter with me? And what I didn't realize was I really had fallen into the primary faulty core beliefs that every 
every sex addict ends up struggling with about, you know, there's something wrong with me, and if you knew who I was, you wouldn't want to be with me. You'd want to run the other way, and, and nobody cares about me the way I am, and nobody's ever really going to take care of me if, if, uh, if I have to depend on others, because life had kind of taught me uh, without me thinking about it. Life had taught me that um, others are going to let me down and that I'm the only one who can really take care of me. And then when I found sex... My goodness, sexual thinking, imagining, self-gratification, that, that was the ticket because I could control some aspect of my life and I could always find a feeling that helped me get through whatever um, whatever it was. And, yeah. of course, it comes with a whole bunch of lies and penalties, but uh, you know that. But that was my deal. So um, moving forward, I um, was going to be a high school English teacher, was working for Young Life as a volunteer, had friends that felt I had gifts for ministry, went into ministry, went to Fuller, then to Princeton, uh, was an assistant pastor, then an associate pastor, then planted to the church. And uh, Pam and I had four kids, and I was just struggling because I was, I was hiding. I was going to fix this. Jesus and I were going to fix this. I was committed. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't going to give in to this. I, I didn't want to shame the church. I didn't, couldn't bail on my family. I, I was going to do this the right way. Um, but you can't fix it on your own. Yeah. It just doesn't work like that. And uh, finally I went to see a, a counselor. This was back in 1992, and I went to this uh, guy. He wasn't really a specialist at the time in addiction, but he knew enough, and he was a very wise person. And he uh, sent me to read Patrick Carnes and uh, Out of the Shadows, and that started me. And uh, I'd love to say it was, a, it was an even, smooth road, but it wasn't. Uh, I told my wife my struggles. I told a good friend. Um, I started to develop up an accountability group. And uh, there were some wrinkles in my own particular deal. Most guys, I don't think, should leave ministry or need to leave ministry to mm-hmm. get a handle on this if they can find the right support and do the right kind of work. Uh, but I, I did, and I blew my life up in 2008, created it pretty pretty badly, not as badly as it might have been, but uh, I left ministry and... Uh, went through some fairly extreme therapy, and it, it worked. And I just celebrated six years of uh, living free of compulsive behaviors that I thought I was never, ever going to be free of. Oh, go ahead. Sorry? I was going to say that is a great segue to the question, but go ahead and finish your thought. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, just uh, in 2010, uh, I'd circle back to one of my really close friends. In fact, he... He'd been uh, my last worship director. Um, he's a great musician, music producer. Uh, he's just done a stuff, Philip Sandifer. And uh, Philip and I still remain close, and he and his wife uh, and Pam and I are still close. And uh, Philip said, you know, uh, Tom, you know how many of us in ministry there are out there who really do struggle with this, but we're alone, we're isolated. There are guys out there, they've got nobody that they can talk to. You've got to write this story for you up. And that's what led me to write um, Ashamed No More. Uh, I'd read Nate's book, which was just freaking brilliant, and appreciated Pirate Monks. And uh, so I wrote my particular story, uh, partly to encourage guys that are struggling with this, partly to give some insight and information to partners and spouses who, who deal with addicts or are married to addicts or family members who are addicts, uh, but partly to talk to leadership in the church and say, hey, we have got to change the way we approach this whole conversation because this culture is really uh, struggling with sex craziness and doesn't know what to do with it. The, the, 
the duplication uh, and the print media that came around with uh, Playboy magazine and then progressed with VHS tapes and then fast-forwarded when we got the Internet, and now you've got all, all kinds of uh, devices in which you can download, produce porn, send anonymous porn, send your own stuff. Uh, it's just changed the whole way sexual stimulation and sexual gratification goes on in this culture. And you see the culture everywhere struggling with it, trying to ask questions about it, trying to figure out their way through it. And the church ultimately ought to be that place where we could find some hope and some and some some reason, some sanity, but too often the church falls into that category of humanity where we are as sick as the secrets we keep. And so that's one of the reasons I wrote A Shame No More was to try and help change that conversation. And for your listeners' sake, it's not under Tom Ryan, it's under T.C. Ryan, and the InterVarsity published that in 2012. So... Since then, I've gotten all kinds of emails from guys in ministry that are struggling, from pastors' wives who are married to pastors that are struggling. Um, from uh, I run two recovery groups here in the Kansas City area, one for pastors and ministry leaders, the other for uh, uh, guys that go to the church uh, or in the community uh, that go to churches um, that want to go to a Christ-centered uh, recovery group. Uh, so I run that. and. Uh, do individual work with guys, and that's a little bit of the thumbnail on me. So. Well, since Dan Hasseltine has proven a point this week that the evangelical church is not a safe place to ask questions if hmm. we already assume we have the answer, yeah. so let's today ask a question that largely has an assumed answer. Nate? Yeah, well, you know, I hearken back. I remember a few years ago now being conferenced in uh, on a on a staff meeting at a at a big church uh, one of the staff members on that church had been uh, caught doing inappropriate stuff on the internet sexual stuff uh, they'd sent him to me and we'd gotten him into treatment and now the subject of the conversation was what do we tell the church? Because the church doesn't know yet that this associate has fallen. Uh, you know, he's he's had a moral failure. That's the big catchphrase. Dun dun dun. Yeah. <laughs> so what do we tell the church? And I remember listening on the speakerphone as a as a guy. I mean, I heard an older voice. I tell from the voice, the guy was. You know, <clears throat> You know, he was not a—he was not a young hipster. He'd been around the block a little bit, and he just—and he—he just said, "Well, it's—it's it's simple. We tell him he—we tell him what he did, and we tell him he's gone, and he's not coming back." Wow. And the finality of the question, uh, of the answer, and and um, the almost casual, cavalier way in which it was given. Absolutely infuriated me. I couldn't believe my emotional response. It was the no duh, we already have this answer. Why yeah, we already have this it? answer. And I remember I remember just getting so furious and saying, That is the one thing you do not say. Yeah. I said, I can guarantee you that in a church this size there are at least three hundred people who are doing the same thing. And if you make that announcement on Sunday, what you're saying loud and clear is that this church is not a safe place for repentant sinners. And this guy was so repentant and so broken and just in need of healing. Hmm. This crisis, you know, was exactly what he needed in his life. 
today the man's doing great uh, and has is actually back in ministry. But so the question's twofold. The question is, yeah, go ahead. Well, one, a pastor is struggling with something. How do you deal with his congregation? What do you do with him? And what, if any, so third question, what, if any, are the opportunities to be restored to ministry? Yeah, yeah. Well, I love, I want to explore a little bit what I heard Tom say, is that not every guy, There, I think there is an assumption, widespread assumption within large segments of the church that a pastor struggling with anything sexual, I mean, step number one is we get him out. Yeah. And I heard you say, Tom, that it's that's not a slam dunk. That's that's not necessarily the, uh, what needs to happen in every case. Can you elaborate on that? Sure, absolutely. Um, and and I think you know for for everybody hearing what I'm saying, uh, please keep in mind that uh, I, I see myself as an offender. I see myself as somebody who broke the moral codes, and and I I have to this day profound. Uh, both profound gratitude for my own healing and recovery and and profound remorse because I disappointed people, I hurt people, I wasn't the I wasn't available. I, I was never the guy that I that I wanted to be. So uh, so it's with great humility that and a, and a sense of profound gratitude uh, that I say these things to to automatically suspend or dispense a ministry leader because of sexual sin ends up keeping the church from becoming the very community Jesus gave his life so that it would become. Yeah. It really it really underlines a false understanding of the gospel. Uh, because I think the gospel if if it if it tells us anything, the gospel tells us three things. It tells us that all of us as human beings are probably worse human beings than we like to admit that we are. There's a few of us that that overscore ourselves sin wise, but most of us most of us kind of underscore. And and so the gospel says we're worse sinners than we think that we are. God is holier than we have any idea that He is, um, and we are more wildly and extravagantly loved and pursued by a holy God than we have any idea than we could possibly imagine. That that's the gospel. We're worse than we think we are. God's holier than we can perceive. And we're more loved than we have any capability of imagining. So now, how do you live that out in community? It's John 1.14. It's Jesus among us. Uh, it's truth. It's grace. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's the, that tension of truth and grace that's tough. It's hard to do. But that's what makes the church the church. And when we move to uh, judgment, we we vacate the place of the gospel. And then we create a, a, a different understanding of what this church is, of what community is, of what it means to be a spiritual person, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and and we miss the point. We then, of course, miss the impact of ministry. Uh, just like you said, it becomes a place that's not safe for sinners. Everybody learns to hide because everybody's got something that they know somebody else would be willing to judge, and we forget that our Lord said, judge not that the measure that you use in judgment is the measure that will be used against yourself. At the same time, we're supposed to uh, know 
to know teachers, to know qualities of ministry by their fruit. So we're supposed to be inspecting fruit. Can we can we take a moment to make a case for the popular side? Because I would say it's the popular opinion in conservative and evangelical churches that you do need to remove this pastor. Probably more than half would say they're not supposed to come back mm-hmm. to that position. So why do they say that? I think there's a reason. I think we need to say it. Why don't you say it? Make the point. Make, well, make the case. Is it, I, mean, is it the, I haven't thought about this. Well, huh? no, but is it, is it the, <laughs> no, the, the expectation that the Bible gives about teachers? Right. Teachers have a, okay. you know, a higher standard. Higher standard. Uh, that we're, we're not to associate with the sexually immoral in the church. Mm-hmm. Right. That can be a, a shunning one. To not even speak of things that are done in secret, not to associate with those from Ephesians. Um, and what what are these passages really talking about? Uh, I mean, what other ones can be used? Matthew 18 is often used, although it doesn't fit yeah. here at all. Yeah, and Paul makes the case that sexual sin actually is in a category of its own because we're seeing that sinning, uh, you know, uh, against our body, against the body, right? So that that kind of that 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 gives a line of reasoning for treating the sexual sinner different. From but is it, but is it actually biblical, or is it just that we're more scared of sexual sin because it's? Well, yeah. let's. I mean, we can take a historical pause to say. The church fathers, by and large, were very chauvinistic and uh, strong against sex, in part because a lot, uh, many of them were not married, weren't able to have sex, so women represented, you know, if you read between the lines of what some of the more chauvinistic of the church fathers said, you're thinking, you really want to have sex bad, don't you? Uh, so... You know, this is a historical yeah. thing coming with, with sexuality, and there are a lot of verses that we could proof text and say we need to distance ourselves, we need to yeah. cut cut off this gangrenous limb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Tom, what other reasons have you heard? I'm because I mean you deal with this all the time, right? So what? Right. How would yeah. we How would we justify? I think you guys have picked it up pretty. Well, James three one, you know, let not many of you become teachers because as such you can expect a a, a, a stricter judgment. Um, I, I think you've enumerated it, but you know, there's always stuff behind it, and then we're 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 guilty of not really understanding the context or doing a faithful work. I think Newton brought that up, but is it biblical? And and you know, Paul does have that that passage in Corinthians in First Corinthians six. Where he's talking about sexual immorality, uh, but in in First Corinthians five, as he's leading into that argument, he said, "Now, you know, I told you not to associate with sexually immoral people," and he's and then he's clarifying, "I mean within the church," <clears throat> but then he adds this. He says, uh, "I don't want you to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or, or greed." or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Uh, right there, if we stop and we're, we really pay attention to what the Apostle says in this and other ethical passages, 
uh, he broadens this whole thing. It's not just about sex. Yeah. But we do have a tendency as human beings to zero in on sex because sex is so intimate and it registers so strongly with our own personal identification in life. It registers so strongly with who we are as people. And many of us have stories of threat or fear or disappointment around sexual experience mm-hmm. or sexual expectations or our sexual history. And so we're, we tend to be hypersensitive around sex. And we zero in on that when the reality is much more damage has been done in the church by gossip and slander and envy and greed than has ever been done by sexual sin. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hmm. So, I mean, it's interesting even the way you phrased it to be, we need to know what these texts are saying to be able to be faithful, and was that the word used, faithful to the mm-hmm. to those scriptures? And I'm just picturing uh, friends from churches that their bottom line is we are going to unearth the truth of Scripture. And you're saying, ah, you know what, that that is not the bottom line truth of those passages. So right. how do we even start to address that? Let, let's even say that yours is simply a legitimately contrary view. Not even that you're right. <laughs> so how do we even start a conversation saying that there is a legitimately contrary view that still honors Scripture as much as those who have all of their text in a line and say this is why we can behave this way towards uh, the fallen pastor? Right. Well, that's a great question, Aaron. I, I, I su- suggest possibly... Going back to the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, and where he talks about uh, lust, and quite candidly, he raises the bar beyond the reach of most of us. And in the fifth chapter of Matthew, he says, You've heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And he goes on, but he's just making the example that uh, he's fulfilling the law and that it actually he's not diminishing the law but the expectation is that all of those who begin to listen to his gospel and to follow his path are going to end up being complete and full persons that are just as perfect as he is that's that's the end game that's the sanctification result um, our our need for mercy and grace doesn't mean to leave us in in a state of sin you know it is is for freedom that we've been set free, Paul says in Galatians 5. Uh, but then he says, uh, but don't stay. Don't use your freedom as an excuse for sin. You don't just wallow in the sin. So there really is a call to holiness, a call to purity. The keys are, what's your motivation to reach for that purity, and what's your method for getting towards that purity? How are you going to do that? And how are we going to help each other do that? I... I I just think that it's really important that we look at what the motives are in our hearts when we judge each other, what the motives are in our hearts when we talk about the purity of the church, what the motives are in our hearts when we have people that are clergy, that are ministry leaders, because frankly, we've got a problem with clericalism in the Protestant church that I think is as bad as it's ever been in the Catholic church. And I say that with affection for both branches. But it's artificial. It's not biblical. That's not biblical. So then, we all have gifts. <clears throat> no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. 
Well, we all we all have we all have spiritual gifts, and and uh, there is that place for compensating those that teach. I mean, I was just reading in my morning devotional this morning, uh, wherever it was, Paul was talking about, um, you know, taking care of the person who is is um, serving the word, you know, the yeah. living by that. But but he didn't himself use that that right that privilege because he wanted to be able to boast in the freedom he had to preach the gospel, etc. So there's a compensation factor that happens based upon the amount of time a person puts in service to others using those Ephesians 4 gifts. But that doesn't elevate them either to a place of spiritual superiority uh, nor to a place of spiritual performance where they need to be more harshly judged. They're going to fail. So They're then, all going to fail. Yeah. yeah. So, then, so then what do we do as the church when... Our leaders fail. Like absolutely. How, no, how I mean, how like how do we respond to that? Like yeah, what, great question. That's it, and particularly when it's something around uh, sex, we go to Galatians six, brothers. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Gentleness. Yeah. Can we add that to the Samson? Everybody say it. <laughs> wow. Gentleness. Yeah. yeah. And then he goes on, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Hmm. Okay, now that doesn't, we read that and we go, oh, okay, so if I'm going to restore the brother who's, quote, morally fallen, you know, yeah. moral failure, we equate that with sexual sin, uh, then I need to kind of do be careful so that I ain't going get, to get tempted, get drawn into his same his same sin. I don't want to be touched by the, the darkness of his soul. That's kind of how we think about it humanly. That's not what Paul's saying at all. Yeah. you got a tendency to judge. So once, once you've got the goods on your brother, you better be really careful <laughs> that you don't fall into a spirit of superiority yeah. or envy. You know, gosh, you got to sleep with her. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of ways we, go, we get slippery on this when we get into each other's business. And so Paul's very careful. Watch yourself. Let you two be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Now, how, that, how, how that looks in every situation is going to be a little bit different. It, you know, has... Has the pastor or the ministry leader done something actually physical with somebody in the church? Well, that creates a whole different dynamic than if it's Internet porn, let's say, or, or something like that. So that's where we have to really uh, be honest with each other, kind with each other, careful with each other, and ask the Holy Spirit to guide us. Well, and be brave and courageous Yeah, yeah. to, yeah. to step into that with somebody. I mean the most often repeated phrase in the Bible. Yeah, what, one of the keys here, I think, is do we really trust the Lord to run His church, to guide us, to, no. to lead us through these things? Yeah. Or do we want to fall back into some kind of a protective mindset and a knee-jerk reaction that says, oh, okay, when this happens, we'll do this to control the disaster. Yeah. Right. I mean, and, and, and forgive me here, because this is going to sound, i got to be careful. In no, some of don't. our dynamics of <laughs> the churches, the dimension of ministry has become so significant or so large, with which we equate that as significance, uh, that controlling that dynamic and not losing any of it becomes the mission, as opposed to the genuine mission of the gospel. Mm. Spin control. PR. In, instead of uh, soul yeah. healing. Yeah. Yeah. Nate has a burning question. Well, I just think... You know, here's, as, uh, what I'm hearing is that you are suggesting that we actually 
deal with sexual sinners in the, the way that Jesus did. Um, yeah. Well, right. sexual sinning pastors. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Those aren't just people, Nate. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> For okay. one thing, they're asexual. That's right. Exactly. There's not a penis yeah. amongst them, so if That's anyone's right. reminded of the possibility, it's offensive. <laughs> yeah, I, now that I say that as a joke, then yeah. go back to what you're saying. Yeah, I I think that's such a part of it because I know when I'm being treated asexually. Yeah, right. uh, when a woman wants uh, to to have some counsel on something that she would not say in front of any other man. Yeah, and when a pastor struggles sexually, it's kind of like a horrific. It's like walking on your parents, walking on your parents having sex. Yeah, yeah, you're yeah. Like yeah. I wanted to pretend that you were the only two people without genitals. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I don't know, I feel like that's part of the awkwardness. Yeah. yeah. And then there's still this mindset. The mindset is we have to protect the purity of the church. And the way we protect the purity of the church, if anyone is caught in it, then we just have to excise them. We've got to, we've got to, we've got to cut them out. We've got, to get, we've got to get them gone to protect the purity of the church. Uh, doesn't seem to be Jesus' modus operandi. Uh, it's a he didn't engage in any stoning parties. He didn't give us, uh, in, you know, instructions on how to eject people from the fellowship. Uh, well, I think that raises a great question, Nate. What do we define as quote the purity of the church? <laughs> exactly. Jesus yeah. is, is the purity is it, is of the church. Is, yes. is, is Darn it a select standard of, uh, of, uh, of behaviors? Yeah. Or is it behaviors built around a, a theology, again, that says, you know, God has moved towards us in Christ, and uh, God is holy and we're not, and there's grace and there's truth, and we're invited into this journey of following Jesus, and it's going to be messy and slippery, and we're going to have to help each other along the way, and life is still filled with suffering, and there's no magical formulas here, uh, but there's trust and there's faith, and there's a better outcome possible, and uh, life will incrementally change and can possibly become better in this life and much, much better in the next, and God help us all to get there together. Well, is it a pure holding to that kind of a philosophy and we really practice kindness and love with each other? Maybe that's what purity is as opposed to some kind of specific narrow set of yeah. of uh, behavioral standards. Yeah, or if grace is the thing that makes us pure, is the purity in the church to offer grace in copious yeah. amounts. Right. You which, know? which is not to say that the Bible does not give us specific things to do and not to do. Sure. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And that's and that's the fear in a conversation like this is. So what we're just throwing out everything. It talks about the fruit of the flesh. We've got I mean we've got lots of lists yeah. that Paul's given. Hold on one second. Right, right. No. Yeah, absolutely. And and that brings up a really great great problem we've had in the Protestant church of of kind of separating salvation or justification and uh, and change, transformation, uh, sanctification. It's all part of the same spiritual movement. Jesus doesn't intend to leave us where he finds us. And that's part of what made my struggle so torturous for so long is I felt like such a guilty hypocrite, such a jerk. And a lot of that was 
with the truth. Uh, some of it was feeding my false nature, unfortunately. It said, it said lies. You know, you're always going to be a loser. You're just a hypocrite. That's all you are, Tom. Uh, you know, that, those kinds of lies, which end up feeding the shame and just locking you into isolation, and it makes the addiction worse. Yeah. And, so, and uh, so, what is Paul but, talking? But back to the main run. Newton asked the question: What do we? What do we do then? Um, we look for the road of uh, of redemption, we, and not quick restoration. I'm not talking about cheap grace, but I'm saying, what does it take for all of us uh, to help help a brother move towards wholeness? And and it does mean reallocating resources, and that gets scary too to church leaders because the church is uh, isn't doesn't usually have a lot of resources but but we got to learn how to take care of those that uh, are, are struggling and invite them to health and, and it'd be better if we could create pathways of inviting them to health when they recognize they've got a problem before it's crashed and become this big public mess right um, that 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 would really change the dynamic of health in the church if we really made it safe for ministry leaders, to, when they recognize, train them on what the problems are and train them on understanding how you can fall into these slippery slopes and what it looks like. And when that ha- happens, we've got a pathway for you to go get the help that you need. Go to treatment if that's what's necessary. Um, if you've got to leave your position, we'll have one for you when you come back. Uh, that kind of a message, uh, when we start developing methods and patterns of really taking care of guys in substantial ways, and not abandoning yeah. them and their dependents, yeah. that's when we'll really change the dynamic and create a healthier church. And by the way, that's when the culture will turn around and say, oh, wait a minute, yeah. who's this Jesus you're preaching? Yeah. Because I like the way you're handling each other. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, can I, 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 it's really time to wrap up, but yeah. there is still one piece here. Um, a, a famous pastor. I hate to quote him without saying who it is, but I hate to say who it is. Okay. <laughs> For, right. So here it is. Some time ago, I received a CD that disturbed me greatly. It was a recording of the recommissioning service of a pastor made national news by confessing to an adulterous affair. Uh, after little more than a year of counseling and rehabilitation, this man was returning to public ministry with the church's blessing. So this goes into... Uh, Paul saying that he doesn't want to disqualify himself from ministry. Like there is some kind of disqualification possibility. Right? right? So mm-hmm. what, in light of all of this conversation, does that mean? Because that's, that's, that's a phrase that's going to come up. You are disqualified from ministry. And this extends to the listeners who aren't pastors, because if it's held for pastors, I think many people don't even start using their spiritual gifts because they feel like I'm already disqualified. Right. So what does that even mean? Jump in there, Tom. I'm I'm sorry, my connection. Um, really, I had trouble hearing what Aaron was saying. I apologize. Yeah. I, I was saying, Paul talks about uh, not wanting to be disqualified from ministry, not wanting to be disqualified from this race, and that if that that is the terminology, and if that's possible for pastors, then there are many people who have set up a certain moral standard, and they just assume they are not qualified. They're pre-disqualified from using their spiritual gifts. So what is this whole disqualification thing really about in light of everything you've just said? Right. Uh, uh, I'd have to go back and study that particular passage better, but I... 
I think that what the, the apostles is probably talking about is more big picture disqualification, uh, making sure that his life and his heart are in line with the gospel, mm-hmm. and uh, rather than measuring specific behaviors. Um, and again, in the context, I want to be clear, I'm not trying to uh, advocate some kind of permissive grace or just right. relaxing all the standards or just saying, well, what we do with our bodies doesn't matter. I, I made a big deal of that and ashamed no more when I wrote it that no, what we do with our bodies does matter. But what's, what's absolutely important is that the state of our heart be in the right place and that we help each other um, pull apart the threads where our hearts have gotten miswired or where we malattached to our sexuality or to something else. Yeah. And um, all of us have some kind of issue of brokenness and that, that disqualification language does see down. Or when we see a pastor accused of, quote, moral failing, it sends a signal to every guy in the church, you better be quiet, you better be careful, you better lay low. Yeah. Because, you know, if somebody knows who you are, uh, they're going to come after you next. Yeah. And, and that just creates a sense of secrecy and shame, which then, of course, makes it all the, all the more easy uh, for us to hide behaviors and to become really entrenched in them and, and lose the freedom that the gospel is meant to give to us. Yeah. Well, this sure has been a fruitful, productive, and thought-provoking conversation. You know, one of the great ironies to me is that the men I know who've been in ministry, many of whom no longer in ministry, <laughs> uh, are much more effective and engaged and connected and actually doing uh, 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 and able to be uh, much more useful in the kingdom now that they're not being forced to hide anymore than they were back when in order to in an effort to save their career and marriage and, and not shame the church and all that kind of stuff they were keeping it all under wraps uh, we need to find a way to uh, bring that beautiful powerful dynamic of the gospel even around something as uh, explosive an issue as sex back into the church. Uh, well, all right, well, Tom, uh, the book again, by the way, if you haven't caught that title, is Ashamed No More by T.C. Ryan, published by InterVarsity Press. Can't recommend that book highly enough. If you haven't gotten a copy yet, go ahead and jump on Amazon or go down to your neighborhood bookstore and pick one up. And buy a second copy for your pastor, because it's really for pastors, too. <laughs> yeah. so wouldn't that be well, by, to by the way, you'll have, to, you'll have to get it on Amazon. Most Christian bookstores won't carry it. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, isn't that isn't Yeah, that Amazon, Amazon or InterVarsity's website's uh, the way to go get it. So. They, they put it out to pastor with Fifty Shades of Grey. I remember when they took that out of the Christian yeah. bookstores. <laughs> well, Tom, thank you. Thank you for giving us so much of your time today. Lord bless you on your work there in Kansas City and around the country, and uh, thank you for being faithful. To, uh, well, it's to my privilege, and I just want to thank you guys, and I've really enjoyed uh, listening to Newton and uh, Mondo and, and uh, Aaron when you were away, Nate, and um, I got a particular kick when they were talking about Uh-oh. Facebook pictures of Allie with all the uh, asparagus tips. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and one of them said, you know, my gosh, I was wondering, all that asparagus, what's her urine smell like? And I was walking. I was walking my dog, listening to the podcast, and I laughed so loud, people turned around in the park and looked at me like, what, what's the matter with that guy? So I just thought they're keeping it real under the mellow mushroom. I love those guys. <laughs> so. 
All right. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tom. We'll talk to you later. Blessings, brothers. All right. So long. And we will be right back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Well, this has been a good hour or so, hasn't it, Nate? Yes, it has. Uh, <laughs> Nate left the room. Uh, Caleb, you be Nate, okay? No, give him the shake of the head. <laughs> so, hey, send us your letters. We have one letter in the hopper, but we would love to hear more questions, thoughts, ideas for many meetings. The email is piratemonkradio at gmail.com. That's PirateMonkRadio at gmail.com. Hit us up on Facebook or Twitter. What's yeah, the at PirateMonkRadio on Twitter. I don't know about Facebook. I don't know where we are. Uh, <clears throat> We're out there. You can find us. So that is all the time we've got for today from the Pirate Monk Podcast. Yellow. <laughs> <laughs>